Belinda Wawing Tong's A Map for the Missing is a story that centers around the possibilities of what could have been as it converges with the limitation of a family and country in turmoil during the Cultural Revolution in China. Family secrets, unrequited love, and a father's sudden disappearance are ingredients that make this debut novel an unforgettable tale. We speak with Belinda about what is lost when discussing the immigration story and the gaps formed when children are not raised in the country of their parents' birth. She reveals the advice given that was instrumental to the formation of her novel and how a night of drinking and confession making pushed her into writing this epic story. Stay tuned for another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses podcast. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzy'sbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses podcast. We're your hosts. My name is Denny. And I am Veronica. And today we are joined with a very special featured author uh, for this episode of our podcast. We are joined by none other than Belinda Wajin Tung, who is a 2021 graduate of the Iowa Writers Workshop, where she was a Truman Capote Fellow and a recipient of the Merchner. Copernicus Fellowship. She holds a BA from Stanford University and was a 2019 work-study fellow at the Middlebury Breadloaf Writers Conference. She lived in China from 2016 to 2018 and while there received an MA from Peking University in Beijing. She is currently living in Los Angeles in the middle of a heat wave, Mm. but we Mm. are so so grateful to have her on the show today to talk about her debut novel, A Map for the Missing from Penguin Press. Welcome to the show, Belinda. How are you doing today? I am great. This conversation is making up for all the heat in LA. So thank you so much for having me. Uh, thank you for braving braving mm-hmm. the heat wave. <laughs> so I'm going to pass it off to Denny. We, we have a special thing that we like to do with all of our authors. So I'm going to handed her to you yes so it's kind of like this little get to know portion so our listeners would you know know a little bit more about you and not just about your book um and it's also kind of like a little hot seat questions like an appetizer yes um because i'm asian i always think about food what food reminds you of home (laughs) um same my favorite food growing up was any kind of noodles like any um like my dad used to make these tomato and egg noodles for us whenever like we need a quick meal um so I think about those a lot but any yeah like any sort of really good chewy noodle that makes me think of home yes warm and cozy what is your most favorite memory when you um, when you think about your visit in China? Spending time in the village with um, my grandmother. She's um, in her late seventies now, but she's just like this really robust person who's like 
puts me to shame actually like I think about how active she is she like wakes up and walks like three or four miles every day and then does that again right before dinner um and it's just really special for her to take me around the village and um you know introduce me to her uh, her friends and like really you know the like really distant relatives you have where you're like I don't even really know how I'm related to this person but okay um and it's just sweet because you know it's you can tell she's very proud and she's like oh here's my granddaughter who came from America yeah. <laughs> uh, and those moments are really special to me oh, that's cute because my grandmother too was um was you know from the Philippines and I was a I was already an adult when I came here but those little memories whenever somebody talks about their grandparents those are all it's always very close to my heart because you know like they introduce you to like this 10 million people and you're like <laughs> how but they're all related to you but you don't know how but then it's like a 15 minute conversation just to find out who is your aunt and uncle or cousin I love it and they love it too right they love it too that's the great thing <laughs> <laughs> um also, this is like coming from a personal question. Do you know how to play Mahjong? And if yes, when was the last time you played? And what is your snack of choice? I do know how to play Mahjong. I love Mahjong. Um, it is, it runs in my family. I would say both sides, both of my grandmothers were, were very adept Mahjong players. Right now, my um, my paternal grandmother has been banned from playing Mahjong because she's lost too much money and my dad is tired of supporting the habit. Uh, I haven't played in a long time, probably in, uh, I want to say 2019 was probably the last time I played. That was the last time I was in China, but um, I have been talking with some of my friends in LA of getting a group together. I don't actually snack really when I play Mahjong because I feel like my hands get too dirty and the, I don't like having like dirty fingers while touching the tiles. I'm I'm the opposite. I'm like, I gotta have a snack. My in-laws taught me how to play Mahjong. My father-in-law has a very bad eyesight, but he can only feel, he would feel the tiles and he knows what it is. It's like sorcery. <laughs> but wow it, yeah and that's how <laughs> that's how like we you know we hang out and we spend time together he would just be like this holding it and then he knows he doesn't even have to look at it he always wins <laughs> um but you know it comes with experience so describe uh self-careful uh for you for belinda and what what do you do for fun Honestly, I'm still working on my self-care like that is a work in progress, I would say. Um, but I like to knit. I'm a big knitter. I would I have show you some stuff that I'm working on, but it's kind of looks ugly because it's in progress. Um, but that's really fun for me. My I hang out with my cat. She's in the in the Zoom screen sleeping. <laughs> I don't know if you can see her. That that's her little black shape there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I just see my friends, you know, LA is a kind of a nice place to live. It's easy. There's so much hiking and um, outdoors stuff to do around here. And so you, the mood never gets too low. Mm. So um, before we begin asking all of the questions we want to know about you writing this wonderful novel, will you give our listeners uh, just a tidbit of what your novel is all about? 
Yeah, so I'm up for the missing. It's set in two different periods, but it begins in 1993 with a Chinese man named Tongyi Tian. He gets a call from his um, mother, who lives back in China, um, that his estranged father has gone missing. And so he, Tongyi Tian, travels back to China um, to look for his father, who he hasn't spoken to in about 15 years. Um, and so that is one of the storylines. And then the other storyline takes place in the late 70s in China, just as the Cultural Revolution is ending. Um, and it tells the story of how Yitian and his father originally became estranged. So what I find is that your, your novel is like, it's this generational story where you have presented this layered tale of a search for a missing person but you've also intertwined these moments of missed opportunities between families and lovers and potential lovers what is it to write about the unsaid things that if mentioned would easily alter timelines for the better I think for me, um, the unsaid was definitely a big theme because, you know, I come from a Chinese family that isn't like very emotional and we aren't very verbal with a lot of um, the way that we, ex you know, express ourselves. Um, and I think because of how I grew up in my family, I realized like that habit of not really verbally expressing things kind of um, leaked into a lot of aspects of my life. Um, and I wanted to write about that feeling of, you know, missing, feeling like you missed a relationship, feeling like you missed an opportunity because um, of something that, you know, you were too afraid to say, or it just didn't get said at the right time. Um, as for writing it, it was, it was a challenge. I think I really love to write interiority um, that for me, I feel like that is my strength as a writer. And that's also where I get the most excited to really just see how a character's mind unfolds. And in a way that kind of lent itself um, to this idea of writing about characters who are really bad at saying things because um, I could let the character kind of unfold in their own mind all the what if scenarios and uh, trace like that whole path of what might have happened. Um, and that became my strategy for, for dealing with um, things that didn't actually get to happen in reality. Mm -hmm. What I like about your, your novel, I think it probably answered a question that I've always carried within me whenever reading anybody's book that has presented things later within the novel. Because, you know, you don't want to tell everything in the very beginning, because what would be the point of writing a story if you don't let people follow along with the journey? And you you intertwine the main characters. Um, he is a math person and you have these equations throughout the book and then there's a point where he is in he's in class and his teacher is like drawing a picture that turns into one shape and it turns into something else and it really I think when I saw that picture it, I was like oh, this is what it is to write a novel where you have these different layers you have these flashbacks and flash forwards to the present time and being able to say okay I'm going to start the picture this way right? And you, the reader, will eventually get to see what that turns into towards the end of how it all develops. And I, I think you just perfectly just laid that out so well within this novel. It was just so beautiful to read and to see the progression of what will happen with these characters. Where are they going and uh, what it is that we want to know? Oh, thank you. That's so kind of you. Um, 
Yeah. I felt like at times, like there was so much stuff that I wanted to put into the book. Like there were, you know, the two timelines and then um, within each timeline, there were the two characters in each timeline. And then um, there's the math that I wanted to do. And it felt kind of like, you know, sometimes I felt I was like stuffing a suitcase of like before you go on an international trip and like trying to make sure um, everything fit. Um, and it wasn't too much. And I think that was a big challenge of, of writing the book of being afraid um, that, you know, felt like there's just too much in the book. Um, and at some point, I think I had to like sit back and kind of um, it decide to like just trust readers um, with, with the process of, of allowing the book to unfold um, and trust readers to be able to hold all those, those various aspects. I think writers, at least the writers I know, we have like a bad habit of uh, assuming our readers are like stupid or can't handle a lot. And like, um, we want to like make sure everything is explained or really clear. Um, and then when I think about like myself as a reader, when I'm reading, you know, I don't actually need all those things at all. Like I'm able to draw connections and I'm able to um, you know, holds a lot of things at once. And so I think a big part of my process was, was being able to have that trust. Um, it's hard because, you know, the book is like your baby it, and it's like, I want to control every part of it and make sure exactly what I want to get across comes across. Um, and I think that actually, uh, at some point, a, a part of writing a book and releasing it out into the world is understanding that not all of those things are gonna come across, but also that readers will encounter new things based on their own experiences. Um, and so all of that went into the process of, of trust when writing the book. Going back to like interiority, like you said, you know, I think we, we've talked a lot to, to authors that, um, would speak about how they develop characters. And I think that is really one of your greatest strengths. Like you made us really invested in all of these people, whether they're from, you know, the restaurant, whether from they're from the school, whether they're from the farm, like they have their own little feelings and their own little worlds. And all of them are kind of like a little Venn diagram that go together. Um, but, you know, like we're, we're going back to the what ifs. So it's, you know, human nature to want to explore, you know, the what ifs and the could have beens. What was going through your mind and how did you plan for, you know, the big ETN and Hanwin reunion as adults? Well, I was, I was just am a sucker for stories of like, what if romances, I think like for me, that just gets me in the heart. Um, one of my favorite books of all time is Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Shiguro. Have you all, have you read that? And I think um, the moment of that book that just like guts me is when, um, Tom, I, I won't spoil the book, but when the two yeah. <laughs> main characters kind of like reunite at a later date and reminisce on their life. And um, as I was writing the book, I was really, as I was writing my book, I was thinking, okay, I want to write something like that, that feels like a little bit emotionally gutting and kind of um, gets to 
some feeling that I certainly have and that I think a lot of people have, which is a, a small sense of tragedy when thinking about sort of like these missed opportunities in life. Um, and it just felt like that was something that was quite emotionally resonant for, for me um, to write about. Um, I will say, I don't want to spoil too much with Etienne and Hanwin's reunion, but I think that's something I, I really wanted to include was a sense of like realism in it um, and a sense of, you know, the real time that has passed, um, like 15, more than 15 years have passed since they last spoken at this point um, in the book when they meet again. And those are the 15 years of someone's life where, you know, they're going through college, they're starting families, they're becoming adults. You really grow into yourself as a person. Um, and in a frank way, they aren't really the same people who connected when they were teenagers. Um, so I wanted to, to have that sense of people rediscovering each other, both the things that they have in common, which is, you know, great, um, and but also seeing the ways that they've they've changed. And I think that there's a big sadness in that, you know, it's like meeting any ex after you've broken up with them and you see like, oh, you've moved on in life. Um, and there's always a little bit of, of sadness to see the person that someone becomes without you in their life. And I think it's like very grounding, too, for the story. It kind of like solidifies like, oh, here we are. And this is like the moment when we know things that maybe things would not be the same or maybe things could still be the same. Mm -hmm. But you just kind of have to like, you know, read along and find out. Yeah. And also kind of like of seeing how the narrative that was in your head compared mm -hmm. to what it was in their head. And be if you ever were to get that opportunity to be like, well, this is what happened. This is what I saw what happened. This is what I said was, was unsaid. And maybe realizing like, oh, then we never needed to be together or I wish we could have stayed together. You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. that's a, that's a treasured moment when you can have that that reconnection but mostly it's the first one. Oh yeah this is why we're not together <laughs> broke up for a reason <laughs> <laughs> it was the fate of the god that, that made that not happen <laughs> um so perception is something very subjective especially in familiar relationships you know like we said you know communication is also is not a great strength in our family even up to now so like in real life, the characters in the book have their own beliefs and views and how they see the world and each other. Why was it important to show those different POV so intentionally between your characters, Yitian, Isho, his father and his grandfather, all the men in the book? Yeah, well, part of it was um, kind of what Veronica was just saying, like there, uh, I think that a lot of meaning can be made in the, in the gaps between different people's perceptions of, of what has happened. Um, and the thing about those perceptions is that the characters go on to make life choices and form relationships based on them. Um, and so that's what happens. Yitian has one certain set of perceptions about his father, about his brother, Yisho, about his grandfather. Um, and he forms his entire worldview in relation to those perceptions. Um, and I think in the end of the book, what I, what I aim to do is kind of reveal the gap between those perceptions and what has happened in reality for all of the characters um, and for them to consider kind of like what life has been made because of that distance between our knowing and what other people's knowing is and what reality is. Um, and so, so I, was, I was interested in, in that idea. 
You had a line there that says Etienne imagine hoisting a chubby toddler onto his shoulders while they walk through the village. The child would always see this place not as their own home, but someone else's. This one stayed with me because I often dream about bringing my child to the place where I grew up and introduce him to the place that I would always call home. I'm also aware that that might that expects expectation might not be met whenever this dream of mine happens why was this important to highlight this very familiar circumstance in migrant families about where home really lies this was one of the the biggest things i was thinking about when i was writing the book so i was um i started thinking about this book when i was living in china and that was my first time living um, in China as an adult and experiencing the country. And I lived there for um, a couple of years in my early 20s. Um, and when I was there, I felt a sudden, just a sense of weight of um, my parents' decision to leave this country. Um, I thought it was uh, to leave their country. I thought I could not imagine the weight of at that time leaving and not knowing if they would ever come back. Um, you know, they were in their mid-20s when they left, um, and that, that decision of departure comes with so many, um, so many questions, and one of them is around how you decide to raise the next, your next generation and your kids, um, and it just seemed to me like this was one of the great tragedies or one of the great tragic agreements that immigrants make, which is that their children, their offspring are going to never see their home as the same place that their parents saw it. Um, and they're going to be raised under a different culture. And it's it's interesting to me because we have so much conversation about you know, the gaps between immigrant parents and immigrant children. Um, something that struck me was my parents left China knowing that their decision to leave was going to create those gaps um, and create a, a, a a child who didn't have the same sense of the world as they did. Um, and that seemed to me like such a momentous decision. And um, it was one that I really wanted to explore. Because I, I see that in my my in-laws and my husband. And, you know, when you said that your parents moved here when they were in their 20s, I was that. I was in my 20s when I moved here mm -hmm. with my parents. And now that I have a child I'm also kind of like wondering so what now like that's why I'm always so interested in reading stories that explore you know those generational gaps because maybe somewhere in there I'll learn something that I might be able to use at some point you know in in my child rearing if that would help any but it also always reminds me that you know it home is home is kind of like wherever wherever we choose or wherever we thrive, thrive. And, you know, as long as we're like surrounded with, like he surrounds himself with the people that he knows, like Ethia, and he surrounds himself with the people that he knows that he feels safe with. To him, that I guess is home now. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's so hard to connect everything all at once, even though we want to, but I guess situations and like his, you know, doesn't always pan out when they, how they want it to be. So we, we kind of just had to adapt and hope for the best. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting because it's two things, right? It's like one, it's really hard. Like, obviously you have these questions and my parents had these questions 
Um, and it's one of the inherent difficulties and struggles and tragedies of um, immigrating. And then on the other hand, it's like, you know, people have been changing for generation for all of history, you know, all of history is marked by migration and people having to adapt to circumstances. Um, and that is the, like the story of humanity. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not just all like, we want to stay in one place forever and we want all, all of our descendants to stay in this place forever because that's not real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's almost kind of painful, but also kind of freeing at the same time. You know, that that moment when you decide when he left, it's kind of like, oh, it starts it's something that I need to do so I can flourish as an, as an individual, but also, you know, the pain of like, oh, I'm going to leave all of this Mm -hmm. it's it's worth it Mm -hmm. so um going um going back to the story I think with one of like my favorite female characters in this book Hanwen she's very smart and very determined um woman and you mentioned that uh she mentioned that she had to change her path and pick a different direction because clearly she was never meant to live the life that she thought she needed Um, speak to us about pivoting and allowing yourself to carve your own happiness, even if the odds are very stacked against you. Yeah, with Henwin, I wanted to create a character where kind of the external events around her aren't, they, they don't pan out the way that she wants her life to pan out, basically. Like she, you know, we meet her when she's young, um, and she has these dreams for herself. And then when we re-encounter her um, later on in her life, most of those dreams have not worked out. And it felt to me important to um, include that, that story because I think, I mean, once again, that's real life that many people's dreams don't pan out. And then also within this historical context of people who had lived through the cultural revolution of that generation, um, that felt very true to people that I had known, uh, that I knew in China, um, where many of their ideals for themselves did not work out. Um, and so towards the end of the book, I did want to you know, give her an opportunity to kind of step back and, and look at her life and say, okay, all of these things I wanted for myself didn't happen. Um, you know, and that a lot of that was not due to any fault of mine. It was because of the situation that I was born into and luck that didn't fall my way. Um, But now that I have inherited it, like what, what does my life as I want it to be look like? What choices do I have the ability to make? Um, And I think Yitian in a way, his reappearance in her life um, is kind of fundamental in spurring her to think again about what choices she has. Um, because I think before she comes into, into his life, into her life again, um, she feels a little frozen and that she feels that she has no choice. And it's also when she, I guess when she does discover that she has a choice of her making that decision of what will I be willing to let go and keep in order Mm -hmm. to, you know, see to to see the life that I want to have that I that I can that I can make where you know I understand what has been given to me where do I want to now take that right and so we see that play out 
uh, towards the end of end of the novel, and it makes you question of like, what are you willing to do in order to get what mm. it is that you want, mm. given the things that you have, mm-hmm. and and you know, it really it really makes you say, okay, am I am I really going to go go to go go to distance, <laughs> do what I need to do? Yeah, you you have to read it. We can't spoil it. Um, <laughs> Speaking of spoilers, um, we can edit this in post, but if you think this is too much of a spoiler, you let me know by my question. Okay. We, and we can just cut it. But um, my maternal grandmother also suffered the same disease as ETN's father. Um, I know how it is hard for the primary caregiver not to want to divulge the information to other family members, especially to adult children. So they won't be seen as a burden and hindrance to the lives that they were trying to live. Why, why was it necessary to illustrate the lengths that family members do to help out and at least try? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine to talk about this question. I think you phrased it very well um, so that we don't give anything away. I, it's so interesting because I think one of the reviews that I got um, early on in when the book was um, just coming out was about um, how it was unrealistic that Etienne's mother would go through, you know, such lanes to try to hide the disease um, from Etienne. And I thought, well, this happens in my life all the time. I've seen it really actually happen um, to a lot of my relatives where, um, you know, there are big things where they like won't tell people they like have cancer, but also there are a lot of like way smaller ways that it manifests when like, you know, the pains start and I see the older people in my family kind of diminish it because that's what they're used to doing. Um, because they know that, you know, to talk about it would worry their relatives. Um, and I, for me, that felt very culturally specific, um, that, you know, in the culture that I come from, um, so much, you know, especially so much attention from the older generation towards the younger generation is in the, is in the vein of it's your time now and we want to see you do well. Um, and it's, and so they will try to protect, um, you know, their the younger people from knowing things that would kind of hinder them in their own progress in life or that would cause them pain. Um, and that's a very tragic thing, but it's also in some ways, um, it is beautiful for me to think about the extent of love that shows that you're willing to um, endure something so silently um, because you care so much to see someone younger do well. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of uh, the movie. Um, oh, goodness. I just looked up the title. <laughs> Is it The Farewell? Is that what you're yes. thinking of? Yeah, it yeah. Reminds, it reminds me of The Farewell, of them trying to wrestle with the idea of should we tell her or should we not Yeah, mm-hmm. tell, this, tell this woman that she is sick um and it you know it it pulls out in the end you know for 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 the grandmother but it is that struggle of not only are you making that choice if it's just you dealing with the illness yourself but having to hide it from someone that's something totally different of making that decision for them and saying like we want to see them live peacefully and enjoy their last last days without them knowing that this illness is upon them and having that unsaid you know, be that thing that, you know, like I stated at the very beginning, what could alter how everything else goes. Um, 
you make mention of the research in your acknowledgments, uh, the research that you did to bring this mm -hmm. story to life. How did you decide what you wanted to tell um, with how you wanted to tell this story with the time setting that you placed it in? Um, uh in this in this period of the world which there was like this extreme major shift uh with um the cultural revolution taking place and 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 children being sent down and having to work in the farming industry one of the pieces of advice i got before i even started this book um that always stuck with me uh, was about when to start a novel and um it was um uh can't remember who said this, but they said, you know, the, the starting place for a novel should be the moment when everything changes in the characters' lives. Um, and so the historical period that I chose was a reflection of a time when everything was changing for a lot of people in China. So um, I think that year 1978 kind of marks the end of the Cultural Revolution and um, communist China into um, reform and opening period China, where the country is becoming like this economic superpower, it's becoming more of the country that we know it today. Um, and especially in the late 70s, there and like 80s, there were there's a period where um, a lot of freedoms were being returned to people and the country was um, becoming more full of possibility in that way. So I thought, you know, returning back to that original question that my teacher had said to me, you know, what is what is changing this seems like the perfect moment where change is happening all around the characters um, and i think the the change is useful because it, provi it uh, provides characters with a set of possibilities with a set of choices all of these things that make for quite interesting fiction so i chose that that moment in time because all of a sudden yitian and hanwen after you know being sent down thinking that they're going to live their entire life in the village suddenly have access to the dreams that um they've always had yeah it really speaks to like the the micro and the macro when you perspective of looking at how life works and how you know something that we might do on our small molecular level can kind of like you know outspan and touch everybody and ripple a ripple effect especially when it's coming down from higher powers and and changing everyone's lives. And I'm always interested in to knowing like, you know, what motivates a writer to pick a certain time period or a certain city or a certain setting in which they want to make that ripple effect move throughout the story. Um, and another part, you see Hanwen, um, Hanwen is, uh, gives Yitian a copy of Weathering Heights that he instantly like devours. He loves this book. And she continues to bring him different copies of literature throughout their study sessions. I'm considering the time period of the setting of this story uh, with the Cultural Revolution. Were, were these books at that point, do you know if these books would have been seen as contraband for them? Some of them certainly were. Um, uh, there, there's a book and that's mentioned called um, a, a Girl's Heart that uh, I read about in Memoirs from This Time, which was kind of like the uh, like the saucy novel that all the little the, like the young teenage boys were passing around. Um, yeah, but in general, during this period, there was just um, 
a lot of reduced access to books. A lot of stuff was banned, stuff that would be seen as bourgeoisie or Western. Um, Wuthering Heights would have been one of one of those books. Um, and in order to get access to these books, you know, there had to be just kind of this secret industry of people passing them on to one another. Um, as we see in, in, in my book, another thing that people did was memorize parts of books that were especially important. And to me, that seems crazy to think about memorizing entire pages um, of text because you don't have access to the text themselves. But I think that speaks to how important um, people in this era felt access to literature and access to knowledge via books was. That brings me to my second part of this question because, you know, when um, when we think about the thin line that we've been walking in America uh, in regards to banning books and censorship since like the early 1600s, this is something that has been ingrained in our culture. And this line is, is progressively getting thinner and thinner um, what are your thoughts that go through your mind of what the future could potentially look like for you as a writer and, and just the world of literature in itself? That's so interesting. Um, I, I was really, th I was thinking about um, the banning of books in America as, as I was writing this book um, and especially now doing interviews it's really hard not to, to think of the parallels between what happened in China, what happens in a lot of authoritarian countries um, and how eager people are to ban books in, in the US right now. Um, the future is, it's hard to say. I think um, as, as writers, the, I and the people I know around me seem as committed as ever to trying to like tell our stories and to be truthful. Um, and I certainly, I don't know people who um, think that they're going to, you know, change the content of what they write because of, because of what's happening. Um, in fact, I know some writers who are like visit school board meetings where their books have been banned and are out there, you know, trying to fight to, to get rid of that ban, which I think is very admirable. Um, but if things happen in the marketplace or things happen legally, then it becomes a different question. Um, I don't know. I struggle with this question because it seems so basic to me, like books should not be banned. We should not have restrictions on what um, we should be reading and our, and kids especially deserve to be uh, exposed to like, not just pr morally pristine characters. Right. Um, and that seems like such a fundamental belief to me that it's, it's hard for me to think about someone compromising in order to, uh, you know, go along with this regime. Yeah. It's, it's really unfortunate. It's you know, every day I feel like it's a new story that's coming out that's just shaking my world every time I pick up my phone and see an alert or something in regards to books being banned. But, you know, there's our hope and desire that it does not continue this this uh, way. I want to um, I want to talk to you about I love acknowledgments in books, particularly when they sig signal out somebody. And I want to talk to you about your friend Will. Uh, in your acknowledgments, you thank them for reminding you of a confession <laughs> that you made um, and a drunken and frigid mm -hmm. 
Boston evening uh, where you confessed your writing aspiration. Was this the first time that you stated that you wanted to write or was this the first time that you decided that you would indeed like pursue this writing career? That was the first time I stated out loud that I wanted to write and that felt to me really momentous. I had probably like in my heart decided I wanted to write like a few a year before I, I said this and I was, you know, um, secretly writing in my little cubicle and at night. Um, but for and this like is about my temperament, and my personality, there's a big difference between um, doing something in secret and having that goal and then putting it into the outside world. Um, and I think I've had a lot of moments where I felt like, okay, I'm going to be brave enough to try this. I'm going to try to apply for an MFA or I'm going to submit my story to X and Y journal. And all of those feel like moments when I was um, trying to ask the outside world to meet me in my goals, in my love for writing in some way. Um, but of all those moments, the hardest was saying out loud to my friend, to my very good friend, um, that I wanted to be a writer. This was something I wanted to do. When, when they reminded you of the conversation, were you like, were you surprised that you had, that you said it out loud and that they remembered? I wasn't surprised. I remembered saying it. Um, I guess I was surprised at how much uh will care for me to you know to remind me of 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 it um you know i think it's very easy to kind of let that go um you know as something someone said when they were drunk and like feeling a little bit more uh, vocal than usual um but the fact that yeah he told me you know you said this and i think you really meant it was was really meaningful to me which leads me to my next question, which is, uh, what is it to have this type of friendship with someone who's willing to remind you and push you towards the greater parts of your life that you have wished and hoped for your for yourself? It's it's really you know for me it feels like those types of friendships um, have kind of made my life possible. You know, I'm someone who really struggles with self-belief. Um, I think that was one of the biggest difficulties I had in drafting this novel is all the entire time. I just felt like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. Um, and I think what is really special to me about having, you know, that friendship and many friendships throughout the course of my life is that they've allowed me to see myself probably a little clearer than I, I could on my own. Um, and I think that, you know, I have so many insecurities and they cloud so much of my judgment, um, and a, a really good friend can kind of pull aside all of that fog and, and show you to yourself anew. Um, and that, that's so special. Yeah, that is definitely a special thing. And I want to say a special thank you to him and to all the other people who've supported you on this this writing journey because you've given us a, a wonderful novel that we had a, a good time reading and we are um, we really hope that people will go out and pick this novel up to see what you've created mm -hmm. and continue to talk to you and and in their passing conversations and you know any future conversation that you have with other people about this beautiful book and whatever else there is to come um 
before we leave, we always like to ask a question of <laughs> every single guest that comes onto the show. And we want to know what your top five favorite books are of all time, or what are the top five things that you want people to know that are coming out or something that you're excited about um, that someone has written or, or that you have written or a combination of both. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna do a combination because five is a lot <laughs> for either of them. Five is a big number. Um, some of my favorite books, I'll name Housekeeping by Marilyn Robinson, um, Lost in the City by Edward P. Jones, and then Never Let Me Go by Kozlo Shiguro, which I, which I already mentioned. Um, and two books that I wanna shout out. One book just came out um, recently, I think the week before mine, it's called All This Could Be Different by Sarah Thaka Matthews. I don't know if she's gonna come on this show, um, but, that would, but um, it's just a really uh, moving tale for like any young person trying to figure their life out. And it also, I think, deals with a lot of the big questions of friendships and how we should be. Um, and then I have um, a classmate of mine who's a very talented uh, fiction writer and poet named Michaela Red Cherries is going to have a collection come out, I believe, maybe late next year or in 2024. Um, and um, it's a poetry collection, but she's just always doing really interesting work. Oh, I have one more. Um, another classmate and close friend of mine named uh, Jeff Boyd is having a book come out called The Weight. Um, and I think that is coming out sometime next year. I read a very early draft of that book um, in our workshop and it's very special. So I'm excited for the world to encounter it too. That's what up. Shout Thanks. out those friends. Yeah. Yeah. See those yeah. novels and that poetry book. You never know. You never know what you would like. Mm -hmm. um, so Belinda, thank you for writing this wonderful novel. Um, I really like flashbacks and fast forwards. I think it really worked so well in this book. Mm -hmm. You've done a really good job on like putting us in those scenarios, in those situations in that year and never get to get confused. It was seamless. <laughs> it was, you know, it was very, it was very, very done well. So thank you so much for being in the show and talking to us about your novel answering all our questions and we hope to have you back on if you write anything else in the future yes I um, will definitely write something in for myself I have to say that so I'll we'll say I'll be back <laughs> yes. right that's right yes. have yeah you have to be back here because yes all the research all the hard work that you did it was so nice and I I really like that you know your strength of like you know the the intro the introversion like how you describe people and how you go through like people's minds and experiences mm -hmm. to me that was that was really a joy to read because I like knowing the characters and doing this journey with them so thank you so much yeah thank you thank you so much for reading and for having me it's been a blast and a pleasure uh, thank you so much you take care okay <laughs> We hope you enjoyed our show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Vulgar Geniuses. Our theme song that you're not in your head along to was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Sean, damn it. 
That's S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast. See you soon. Deuces. Deuces.